Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tomahawk Talk, where you're either listening as a podcast or on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. If you are listening on the latter of those two media, unfortunately, we are not live tonight, but we are glad we can be with you through your radio this evening. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary was recently named managing editor of the FSVU, Florida State University's official newspaper. Student run, completely student run, needs to be mentioned. So I wanted to take a moment to congratulate you on the show for that, Gary. It's definitely well-deserved. Thank you. I mean, also, we're Florida State's independent newspaper. We're actually owned by the Tallahassee Democrat. If you didn't know that, I don't know how many people exactly know because we don't really make it public too often. But yeah, I'm excited to dip my feet into the managing editor part of the job because uh, for the past few years, I've just been working in sports. So I'm excited to see kind of what arts and culture and news and a bunch of the other sections have to offer because I really have kind of been missing out on those. Yeah, it definitely needs to be mentioned. It's not state-run media. It's not Florida mm-hmm. state-run media, uh, for sure. Independently owned. Uh, great point, Gary. Uh, but one of the great things we get to do with the FSVU is a collaborative podcast called Talk and Shop, uh, where it's, you know, we have a lot of the same people you hear on Tomahawk Talk, but we're just talking strictly Florida State sports. It's hosted by Gary. And we've mentioned this show a lot on this program. We've played some of the interviews we did back in February with Mike Metcalf and Matt Nelson from Florida State Baseball. But since the sports shut down, there haven't been many opportunities for Gary to release new episodes. But Gary, why don't you tell the listeners about the newest episode of Talk and Shop that came out last week? Yeah, and we mentioned it a little bit on the last episode of Tomahawk Talk. I was able to go and play the new Seminole Legacy Golf Course, which officially opened in this past, this past March. So I was able to interview actually the head coach of uh, both FSU men's and FSU women's golf, uh, Trey Jones and Amy Bond. Great interviews about the course, kind of what went into making them, what they are now, how they kind of were, how their relationship was with Jack and Jack's team. And it was really cool because you don't get to do too many interviews where we can't, we couldn't really do that kind of interview on this because probably not everyone wants to listen to an hour of golf course talk because probably not the most interesting topic to some people but i personally love it i have a book the anatomy of a golf course by tom doak sitting right next to me on my desk so it's something that i've been wanting to talk about and get into for a while now and i think it's a really fun interview and you can go listen to it on apple podcast google play spotify if you just search talk and chop that's t-a-l-k-i and apostrophe after the n and then chop so Great, great episode that we, I was able to do. Sadly, I was only able to do it by myself. Would have loved to have someone else that knows golf alongside, but due to the circumstances, it was a solo episode. Yeah, be glad that I wasn't on there because I would have just been a sputtering nonsense for the whole episode. But yeah, if you're listening right now to Tomahawk Talk as a podcast, you're already in the right place. Just use whatever platform you're using to listen to this. Like Gary said, search Talk and Shop. Also, you can look up Tomahawk Talk Graveyard Shift, the other podcast we do that is released, again, on all major podcast platforms. And, yeah, we've got enough content to get you through uh, this quarantine for however long it lasts. I know places are starting to reopen. We're starting to get somewhat back to normal. So, But as of now, we're still going to be doing Tomahawk Talk uh, remotely, not live. Uh, Unfortunately, that's just uh, the situations we're dealing with. But joining our panel again tonight is Gabe Tisnes. Gabe? You won trivia for the first time when we did 90s NBA trivia a few weeks ago. So today's trivia theme, similar to that 90s theme, is strictly based off of the ESPN docuseries, The Last Dance, which wrapped up last yesterday at the time of recording. We were recording this 
on Monday the 18th. But the last dance trivia is tonight. So how confident are you since you've got that experience with 90s NBA trivia on this podcast? How do you feel like you're going to do tonight? Brett, I am as confident as Dennis Romden before an NBA game because you know he always wants to go to the casinos and stuff so i'm very <laughs> confident but uh yeah I'm, I'm very excited to defend my title um i'm also very excited to talk about the sports news it's been a pretty good week for sports news uh we got bundesliga coming back um a couple other things so yeah thankfully none it- of us had to fly to vegas to go and get you out of a bedroom <laughs> <laughs> not yet at least not yet because uh maybe when vegas reopens We'll have to fly out and, and save Gabe. But you're right, Gabe. we got a lot of sports that are back, and, and hopefully more sports coming back soon. I know baseball is trying hard. We're definitely going to talk about baseball and its potential return in 2020. gives us a lot more content to talk about on this show, and I couldn't be happier for that. Gianna Arantes is also on the panel tonight. Gianna is a recent graduate of Florida State, like myself. So congratulations, Gianna. But you were also gracious enough to join us on Tomahawk Talk again tonight. What is up, Gianna? Hello. Well, thank you. And congratulations to you too. And everybody thank else you. graduated. Um, I miss V89 in the radio like too much to stay away, but I'm still in Tallahassee. Um, I'm just here living the boring, boring quarantine graduate life. And I've been trying to get outside as much as possible. So um, I haven't really been watching much TV besides the last dance and every Sunday and occasionally binging the Sopranos. But I am rereading uh, Keith Hernandez's memoir. So I know I'm a Mets fan, I'm biased, but it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. It's all about like his first MVP in World Series, like before he was in the, the Mets and his minor league grind. So I think that's cool. But yeah, I'm excited to be on and I'm excited for the trivia and hopefully I'll be the one who's able to knock off Gabe. But I don't know. I've been yeah, he's watching been too long. So yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, you know, binging the Sopranos. So I guess uh, you can take the girl out of Jersey, but you can't take uh, Jersey out of the girl. <laughs> Absolutely huh? not. And yeah. I can't go home right now because it's a lot worse with the virus up there in Jersey. So I got to get my Italian fix somewhere. <laughs> yeah, have you watched sure. Gianna, have you watched The Sopranos before? Of course or... I have. This is okay. like the first time I'm watching <laughs> Okay, no, I'm just, no, I'm asking that because I'm starting to watch it for the first time. I'm on like the first, still about like halfway through the first season. I've been really enjoying it so far though. <laughs> so if you ever want to talk about it, literally I'm watching with my friend who lives in Detroit too. And we sit and we'll like watch the same episodes every day mm-hmm. and text like, oh my God, did you see what Christopher just did? Like, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's a great show. I yeah. recommend it to everybody. HBO is the king of channels. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Well, and I'm watching it because they're doing their own like free thing with Hulu or whatever. So The Sopranos is free right now. Even on HBO Go, you can just uh, go onto their website and watch it for free. So that's oh, wow. how I'm watching it. So everybody has no excuse not to watch you. You don't even need a subscription. Exactly. That's true. It's true. <laughs> Rounding out our panel tonight, he's making his second ever appearance on Tomahawk Talk. In his first appearance on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, it's Alex, De- Alex DePriest. Alex is actually sitting right down the hall from me since we are roommates, but he's here on the podcast. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. Um, I just thought it'd be fun to come on the podcast. It's always fun to talk sports. I know uh, me and you have been on the couch lately uh, watching some more ridiculous sports than I thought I'd ever watch. Uh, we have been watching stuff that you can't even imagine. Anything for sports. Anything for sports, right? Yeah, we really just got to get our fix in at this point. I mean, uh, but 
Yeah, you know, I, I really enjoyed the last dance and just decided, you know, it'd be fun to get on here, give some hot takes and discuss sports with uh, like-minded people. Well, we are glad to have you on, Alex. I am reading a new book. It's Smart Baseball by Keith Law. I think I mentioned it on last week's podcast, but it finally came in for Midtown Reader. I was able to pick it up and uh, start reading it after I finished rereading A Clash of Kings by George R. R. Martin. But uh, it's going great. It's, uh, it's reaffirming my beliefs that a batting average sucks, that the save sucks, that pitcher wins suck, and all these old baseball stats that are ruining the game and the new ones that are making it so much more enjoyable and making people so much smarter. So thank you for that, Keith Law. Loving the book. I know he listened. I know he, I know Keith Law is listening right now. <laughs> kill but, the all right. Lay down a sack kill bunt once or twice. <laughs> kill the save. <laughs> no, keep my sack bunt. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you like to lose and you like to score less runs, you should sacrifice bunt more often. Anyways, that's beside the point. So that's what we've been up to the last week or so, but there are, is a lot of stuff to talk about this week including the last dance it was a 10 part docu-series released by espn and uh it it was i think it lived up to expectations when the first trailer for this dropped uh people thought it was you know gonna be gonna be an incredible series and we weren't quite sure when it was gonna get released i don't know if they released you know had the uh, the release date when the trailer first dropped but when the sports world shut down espn decided to move it up and play it two episodes every Sunday for five weeks. And that last week was, uh, you know, it concluded yesterday with episodes nine and 10 showed the conclusion of the 97, 98 season for the Chicago bulls. Spoiler alert. It ended with them winning their sixth championship in eight years. And Michael, jo- Michael, not Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan riding off into the sunset as potentially the greatest basketball player to ever live. And uh, oh, I have a lot of thoughts uh, on this series as a whole, I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I learned a lot about the players involved, not only with the Bulls, but the teams they competed against. It made me a little bit jealous that I didn't get to live through the 90s in the NBA. Um, but I have a few issues. And it's not really with the documentary as what, uh, you know, as for the film itself. It's the way people are viewing it. Listen, Michael Jordan might be the greatest of all time. I'm not here to have that argument. I refuse to have that argument on this show. But what I do know is that this series does not determine in any way who the greatest basketball player of all time is. I've seen so many people on Twitter saying this ends the debate. This ends the argument. Michael Jordan is the greatest. Just because he had a few movies made about him? No. Like, listen, and, I'm, and again, I am not, Michael Jordan might be the greatest of all time. This is not about that. But if he is, it was not confirmed by this docuseries. Today or tomorrow, they could release the same 10-part series about LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, some of the greatest to ever live, and you might say the same thing. It's all about the production on the court. But, but Gary, I know you're, you're chopping at the bit to chime in here. You're saying might be the greatest basketball player of all time. No, you're, no, 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 no. you're supposed to say he is the greatest basketball no. player of all time because the Twitter mob says so because this, I, because he did it before anyone else. <laughs> we are not, we are not debating that. This is not about that. But the idea that just because this documentary comes out and you, and we learned some great stories about the competitor that Michael Jordan was, the person he was, the player he was, but everything that happened in this, in these films 
already happened in real life. We had all of this data of how the basketball player he was available to us. We knew how much he produced. We knew how important he was not only to those Bulls teams, but to the NBA as a whole and how he dominated that league for an entire decade. So that, that's all I want to say. Exactly. That, you you have this, to this, uh, it just pisses you have me to, off. You have, to, you have to take this all with a grain of salt while watching and understand this is just about Michael and not to be compared to anyone else. This is just in the bubble of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the 90s and a little bit of the 80s. And that's why I enjoyed it because I kind of separated myself from the GOAT debate here. And I didn't say, this is Michael Jordan being the best player. And that's why, because he was a tyrant and, and we don't know if LeBron was or is. Yeah. It's like we haven't we haven't gotten that peek behind the curtain. Yeah. With with LeBron James or with any other player like we did with Michael Jordan over 10 hours of film from, you know, various seasons throughout his career and and again, we're not it's not about whether or not he's the greatest of all time. It's that your opinion should not have changed on that after watching these films. It's not about who was the toughest teammate to practice with or who, you know, talked the best trash. That doesn't make you the greatest player of all time. Come on now. That's that's all I got to say. Gianna? Um, well, personally for me, like, while I was watching, I, I wasn't thinking about the LeBron-Jordan debate. It was more just, like, obviously focused on Jordan. It's a lot more Jordan biased. But I was not alive during that time. None of us were. So, like, I didn't know – all of that about the 90s NBA and I'm not even that huge of an NBA fan in general like I'll watch occasionally and I, I watch the playoffs like so I know how the game is like now but seeing just like the difference in competition back then and I don't know learning all the storylines and stuff seeing how hard they played I feel like that might be the reason why certain people on the internet are like oh this is uncomparable because I know people make that argument all the time but I don't know it's, it's, it was a different game back then you know what I'm saying I, sure. I developed a little bit more admiration and respect for Jordan because of this. Not yeah. that's really what I took from this series. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, all three of you guys. Honestly, this this documentary was never meant to be uh, portrayed as, "Hey, here's these ten episodes. Uh, all millennials go watch it and see why Michael Jordan's the greatest." No, this is just to see the anecdotes, the little stories, the behind the scenes for those that never got to see the '90s Bulls in live action for them to kind of get a little bit of a, uh, a real perspective into what it was like back in the day. And honestly, they completely nailed it. I was so happy to be able to see this because it was great. It, it really felt like a complete narrative that not, any, not, not many teams can really pull this off. I mean, the, the myth behind Michael Jordan is one that not many players get to, you know, be viewed as. So looking at him as a person and – who he really was is very refreshing. I will say that I think a lot of times we, we talk about NBA, like 90s NBA players as playing maybe in even like a softer era than today, like that the competition just wasn't there. It's just, I think this provided a lot of insight onto maybe the way that they like drew fouls, the way they were able to drive to the basket and just kind of some of the crazier things Michael Jordan had to do that just even current NBA players don't really put up with in today's NBA some of the fouls that I saw in this documentary were pretty crazy. I learned some things about load management. Like I, I looked up a statistic about Carl Malone only missing 10 NBA games over 18 seasons with the jazz. That's just a, a sort of like physicality that we don't really see anymore. And I think just the, the current trend has been talking about Michael Jordan's opponents. Like there's some kind of blue collar workers and stuff on, on the Twitter sphere. 
<laughs> and I, I just think that this did a good job of uh, putting that into context for me. And uh, may, maybe that has heightened my respect for Jordan a little more. It is interesting because it, it shows that it is very difficult to compare players and their careers between eras because the game evolves. The way you train evolves, the way the game is officiated and coached evolves, the way rosters are built, that obviously has changed throughout, uh, you know, throughout the game. That's why Wilt Chamberlain, everyone says, well, look at the players he was playing against. I guarantee you if Wilt Chamberlain was born and raised and trained in the 21st century, you know, he would be a much different player. There would be so many more resources available to him, so much more information about the game of basketball that's available to him. So, again, that goes back to the, you know, can we watch something without having a debate over who is the greatest of all time? It did. It made me jealous about watching, you know, not getting able to watch 90s NBA live. It seemed like it was very competitive, very entertaining. A lot of stars spread out across the entire league, and they were all featured in the documentary throughout the 10 episodes. Um, but, but, yeah, obviously the game has changed, and I think that's important to note. And it's, it's uh, it, I just wish that everyone else could watch it and enjoy it for what it is and not use it as another reason to explain or debate greatness. Gabe? Yeah, so this morning I was literally having this debate with some of my older folks. I have a couple uh, uncles and whatnot, and they always like to talk sports with me. And I was just telling them, like, I finally realized why – I was never really team Michael Jordan when it comes to team LeBron and team Michael Jordan. And that's because they held me at gunpoint and they were like, repeat after me, MJ is the goat. And that's not how it should be. If he is that great, his stories, his stats should be enough for us, the younger audiences that never got to watch him to be able to like, you know, come up with our own opinions and, and come to the same realization that he is as great as he was. And this documentary was fascinating because I mean, I knew about the six rings, but all the narratives, all the storylines that came be behind them. We even got to learn about how the flu game, the famous flu game, <laughs> was actually <laughs> a poisoning attempt from the Utah pizza place that nobody wants to talk about. And that just made me realize, like, hey, Michael Jordan really is more than just, like, some other back-in-the-day dude who was really great. I, I do want to say, I don't know if there's enough evidence to uh to blame it on the utah pizza place well let's be honest michael jordan did say he ate the entire pizza i too have eaten an entire pizza before sometimes you don't feel great after doing that i have so many questions why would you eat a pizza that was delivered by five people at your door they want to see michael they probably yeah. knew that this michael was ordering this pizza or someone in the same room as michael would be ordering this pizza i don't Think it's, I don't think it's right to accuse this pizza place, <laughs> this alleged Utah mobsters, to be poisoning a pizza to get help the Utah Jazz win a game. But I still think it's interesting to see like how he was able to deal with this injury, this uh, this illness, and fight it off and play this game the way he did. And if uh, Tim Grover did another interview on part of my take where he kind of did a little bit more in depth on how Jordan dealt with it and what his advice was. And it was really cool. And I still think I still have the same level of respect after learning it wasn't a flu game. It was actually a, it was more like a flu, like symptom slash food poisoning game. Yeah. I'll say that after the, like hearing the story about the flu game, it, it kind of made me realize that Michael Jordan might be the origin of uh, some of the Mamba mentality stuff. I always heard from Kobe uh, because just in the era that I grew up watching basketball and I'm a massive Kobe fan, he's my favorite player, but uh 
it just showed me how much he learned from him. He was willing to go out and compete no matter what was going on in his life or his uh, physical health even, and was willing to put that at risk to go out and win a basketball game. Yeah, and also we learned in episode eight, Michael Jordan makes stuff up to to give himself a competitive edge. And I'm not saying the flu game or the the food poisoning game was made up, but I'm also not saying that from what we saw in that documentary, can we know for certain that there was an attempt to poison Michael Jordan, I think that's just such a huge stretch. And it, I don't know. That's just me. It might have happened, but it also might not have happened. It probably didn't happen, if, I we're, think, if we're being honest. I think it was just bad pizza making. It could have, I think it's just bad pizza making on well, their part. They just messed up. <laughs> Gianna could probably attest to this, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's pizza from Utah. It's not from New York. What can mm-hmm. you expect? I know John Rothstein tweeted something, and he was like, pizza <laughs> from Utah? Who would? But also, I was wondering, I know they were looking for pizza at like one o'clock in the morning, but why would you say that the pizza was for Michael Jordan? Exactly. They said like five um, pizza guys came to deliver, which was very odd. But I don't know, the whole way they framed it, like I knew something was up with this pizza. (laughs) Like five people came. I thought that was interesting. You got to have some concerns when that happens because yeah. maybe, they, maybe they rushed it a bit too quick out of the oven and they're like, we got to get this to Michael. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We all want to see Michael. Mm-hmm. I was Gary, thinking they said that. They're just fans, but I don't know. Gary, what did you think about the way these films were ordered chronologically? So it was about the 97-98 team, mm-hmm. but every episode they would jump back to a different point in time in the Bulls dynasty, which I think was great in providing a lot of context. I had some issues with the way they ordered it. I thought if you're watching it week to week, it can kind of get confusing, especially if you're not a major basketball fan and you're not familiar with some of the players, the teams in the league. But but what were your thoughts? I like the way that they kind of framed this whole story because you can't tell the story of this last dance without telling the story of Michael Jordan's whole career leading up to it. That's just telling you the end of a story. That's like saying, telling someone the end of Harry Potter without, telling them, without them reading the last books. So you really had to set up these stories or these ideas with parts and bits from that season where they were able to get this cool film, this insider kind of documentary style film, and then shoot it back to the past season and say, hey, he's this way right now because of this at this time. Or because like I really think what they did well was during the episode where they uh, talked about Michael's dad tragically dying, they were able to go back and forth and show his relationship with his dad, talk about little bits and pieces, show how his dad was there every step of the way. And we kind of got a little bit of payoff for the whole father storyline at the end when he uh, had the, uh, the security guard, I can't remember his name. I know Mr. Lett, that's how I remember it, but he, it was cool seeing that kind of relationship being shown there and how he almost treated Mr. Lett like his own father in, his late, in uh, Jordan's later seasons. So I think they did the right job, and I really do believe everyone was getting on them way too much because I understand there is a bit of confusion, but if you just pay attention, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in my opinion, stories are not as good as the villains, but as good as the side characters. And I think that's what the, the, the documentary really did a good job on because there's mm-hmm. so many side characters that are so important to the story. People always want to focus on Michael Jordan this, Michael Jordan that. But there is a story to be told about Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Steve Kerr and uh, Phil Jackson and Jerry Cross. Uh, there's so many guys that I'm so interested in to learn more about. And that's what I really love about this documentary because 
even though the timelines were a little bit confusing if you didn't pay attention, just don't be lazy. You know, actually, like, you have nothing else to do for starters in quarantine. But, yeah, like, if you pay attention enough and uh, you, you notice the little details, you'll get the most out of the series. And that's what I really took from this. Um, yeah, I felt the same. That was my favorite part of the documentary, just the background of all the players that surrounded Jordan and kind of showing how he may have been tough to work with, like, as a teammate, but he was doing it to, like, motivate his teammates. And the Steve's care story was my favorite. I did not know all of that about him, and I knew, like, he was very outspoken about issues like gun violence and stuff, but I never knew that I read a newspaper article Darren Ravel posted yesterday, and it was the day after um, Steve's dad passed away, and his family was in another country, and he got shot, and he just had to continue playing basketball the next day, same thing, like, that was the only thing he had, his mom, his siblings, and then his dad was dead, and how he related to Jordan with that, I don't know, I thought that was really cool, and same thing, the story of Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, all that stuff. Yeah, if there was one character that really stood out to me, it was probably Phil Jackson, just because uh, you know, he goes on to win six championships with Jordan and then almost immediately turns it around and goes to win five with Kobe and you know, a couple with Shaq uh, on Kobe's team. And it just really showed to me that he might really have some sort of ability to teach great players how to win games. And uh, maybe a lot of the reason why LeBron hasn't had as much success in his own championships is that he never really had that great coach behind him. And uh, it just, it was to me really the, one of the highlights of that series because I, I didn't really know all of the deep dives into stuff like yoga and the triangle offense and even some of the more weird Native American uh, kind of th things he dove into in order to get these players focused for each game. Yeah, great, great stuff, Alex. That is a great point. And, and it also shows that the Chicago Bulls dynasty, as much as they were carried on the backs on the back of Michael Jordan throughout the 90s, this was an, organiz an organizational effort. And that starts with my man, Jerry Krause. <laughs> Jerry Krause, who built this team as the general manager that won six titles in one decade. All, you know, it, it, almost unheard of. I know some other teams have been almost that, you know, have been that dominant in the NBA in the past. But Jerry Krause, this entire, through, throughout all the films, was just trashed. There was not many positive things said about Mr. Krause in the series. Gary? Jordan addressed it sort of at the end. He said, or was it Jordan or Scotty? He said he gets all the credit for building this team. And I do believe that. He gets all the credit for building this team. But his ultimate goal towards the end of this dynasty was to tear it apart. And you saw it at the end. You saw it at the end. It said, and the Bulls began the rebuild. And where is the rebuild now? And where was the rebuild when Krause was there at, towards the end of his, his life? It, they weren't doing well. They just flat out weren't doing a good job of rebuilding. Let so that just also you. shows you, I know rebuilds are tough, but it just shows you how he kind of fell but ass backwards into this dynasty almost. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let he, me ask you. He, it was a good right place, right time. Let's be honest. What incentive, if Jerry Krause thought that, like they, they painted him to be just this antagonist, what incentive did he have to, to tear down the, this Bulls dynasty if he thought things weren't going to be better? I know. I see, like, I know, we know Dennis Rodman was towards the end of his career. Scotty wanted to get more money because of kind of the bridge that 
they they built it was this shaky bridge that the Bulls and Scotty built over his contract and Scotty sort of realized that towards the end of his career so he wanted to go get paid somewhere else Jordan said he probably would have been able to maybe convince some of those guys to hang around another year because even Reinsdorf and I started to lose a little bit of respect for Reinsdorf towards the end he tried to say hey hey Phil like maybe you come back for one more season. Like we did pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking uh, towards the end of that, that, you know, just once you get these older players on the roster and you get to the end of that, they just, their market value becomes too high to keep them all together. We kind of saw that with the golden state dynasty lately where Durant kind of had to leave because he wasn't going to get his pay along with Curry, you know, clay, all that. And, uh, you know, Jordan really tried to paint like the blame on Krauss, I thought, but let's be honest, if, if Jordan wants to go play anywhere else for that seventh year, like he could do it. Like it's not like they forced his hand on retirement or anything. So I just thought that was kind of a, a, a weird thing in the documentary where he really tried to paint a blame on him, like having to retire early. He could have went to anywhere. But if you wanted to stay, you, he, like, he loved Chicago. This is where his, the, he was given a chance. They took the chance on him. He made his, the most of his career there. Why would he want to just up and leave and say, nah, I want to go play somewhere yeah, else? I mean, no. I know he did obviously later in his career, but he was faithful to Chicago. I get what you mean, and maybe I don't think too much about uh, loyalty in the NBA anymore because this is not what I grew up watching. But uh, it, like, I, I just think it's, it's, it's off to say that uh, Jordan was forced into retirement this way. Oh, yeah, he was for sure not forced into retirement. Right. I think he said, I see the end. It's now near. I'm, going, I'm getting out while I can. And I, I respect that, but I also wish we could have seen a little bit more. I mean, just think about it. After the first three-peat, he was exhausted. He, he, he just couldn't continue, so he had to take a break. And then, obviously, his, his dad passed away and a couple other things happened. But after the second three-peat, well, was he just going to come back and just going to dominate the league with Steve Kerr as his second best player in the team? No, he, he needed more help at that time in his career. And it's completely idiotic to say that he was just, like, not going to, like, like, just the idea of retiring – is because you're either done playing physically or you're done playing mentally. And I don't think the physically part was the, the real reason why he retired. It could. I think the physicality kind of uh, played a huge factor because he mentioned at the end, he said, at this point in my career, I had to really think more with my actual like basketball knowledge rather than just relying on instinct. And he would have had that chance to do a little bit of both and have some of that physicality back the next season because you know what happened the next year in the NBA? There was a lockout. So he made, there was, was it only like 50 games or so played that year? So if he kind of, he would have lucked into possibly that season and a longer season and more rest and more time. So there, I know you can't say, oh, they should have signed Scotty for that year because you can't assume that the lockout was going to happen for that long. But if they were able to just say, hey, one more last dance, which is kind of contradictory, but it would have, it could have worked possibly one more season because I know they offered Phil that last year. The thing is, and Jerry Krause, I think, knew this more than anyone. I think any person in his position realizes this. When you're running a front office, or even if you're a head coach or a manager in professional sports, at the day after you win a championship, the day after you win an NBA Finals, World Series, a Super Bowl, whatever it is, people want to know when you're going to win another one. You get one day. You get that night to celebrate it. The next day, all right, what's going to happen next season? Jerry Krause knew that. And throughout this documentary series, 
we saw all the dysfunction that the Bulls went through. And I'm not saying that great teams don't go through dysfunction. They obviously do, almost all of them. And, and the Bulls, have, you know, were able to manage it, whether it be because great coaching, great front office, or they just had the best damn basketball players on the planet. They were able to do it and win six titles. But at some point, you know, all, this, all good things must come to an end. Jerry Krause knew that. Even though he might have struggled with the rebuild, with that next rebuild, and, and the Bulls might be struggling from that still today, I don't blame him for trying because you, you have to look at it and, and say they signed those guys again. I don't believe that they could have also, they could have signed all those guys to one-year deals, but also times were a little bit different then in how contracts were, were negotiated. But I think Scotty would have left. I, I still kind of have a hard time believing Michael would have 100% come, came back for the next season. But ultimately, you got to start looking at the future while also competing year after year and Jerry Cross might have might have failed at the end of that his tenure with the Bulls, but that doesn't take anything away from the way he built that roster to to win six titles in the nineties. I think that Scotty probably would have been the hardest to convince to come back. I kind of have like mixed feelings. Like obviously, I love him; he was great, blah blah. But I feel that it was kind of biased in favor of Scotty too, because you saw at some moments when he was selfish, but at the same time you're living in the shadows of Jordan. Like, I don't know. I was really shocked when it was the 1994 Eastern conference finals and they were playing the Knicks and uh, Phil Jackson drew up that play for Tony Kukoc. And then he sat down and he said, I'm not going to come in the game if I'm not getting the ball, which I get, but at the same time, like you're being selfish, like you want to win as a team, you know, and the same thing with the money or when he purposely didn't get surgery during the summer and waited until the season started, so he was going to be out. I don't know. I like I love Scottie Pippen, but I thought that was interesting. Some of the things he said, and even when they asked him about uh, the 1993 Eastern Conference Finals, whatever with the Knicks, he kind of defended it. He said if he had the choice to do that again today, he would have made the same decision. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to thank ESPN and, and the people who made the Last Dance for giving us something to talk about for a month and a half. And it felt like we were watching something that everyone else in the country was watching. And it's been a long time since we felt that obviously we didn't get that opportunity to do that with the NCAA tournament. Uh, we, you know, I know there's a lot of college baseball fans on the show right now. We didn't get a chance to do that with the, the road to Omaha this year. Um, so it, it, it was fun to watch something that you felt like all of the sports community was watching and interacting with each other about on Twitter I know we talked about it before the show started. A lot of great memes came from this, and I hope they don't die off too quickly as uh, certain memes tend to do uh, in today's day and age. But we do got to move on. There is some other news in the sports world, and uh, we get to talk about a Rays player. And that doesn't often, get, that doesn't often happen. I am a, obviously a huge Rays fan. I host my own Rays podcast. Uh, you know, I'm not going to plug it or anything, but if you know me, you might know the name of the show. But Blake Snell came out a couple weeks ago on his Twitch channel and made comments about the return of Major League Baseball in 2020. I'm going to go ahead and play that audio now. No, I'm not splitting no revenue. I want all mine. Bro, y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting the money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting 
half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. On top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't making And on top of that, so all that money's gone. And now I play risking my life. And, and, what, and if I get the Rona, on top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh, yeah, that stay, that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be, like, the damage that was done to my body, that's going to be there forever. So now I got to play with that on top of that. So y'all got, I mean, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay. Like, bro, this. Yeah, man, I gotta, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I'm making is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry. So in my head, I'm preparing for next season. And I'm preparing, well, I'm actually preparing for right now, but as if I'm preparing for next season. Like, it's it's super weird, man. More Twitch streams for us, that's facts. But, guys, I'm just saying, man, it just doesn't make sense for me to lose all of that money and then go play and then be on lockdown, not around my family, not around the people I love, and get paid way the hell less. And then the risk of injury runs every time I step on the field. So it's, it's just it's not worth it. It's not. I love baseball to death. It's just not worth it. So that was Blake Snell, authentic, uncensored. Actually, I did have to censor it a little bit just so we could play it on the radio. Um, but Gary, initial thoughts when you, when you heard Blake made those comments and kind of the national media storm that came with it. I don't hate it. He's taking the right stand. He's taking the player stand. And I'm on the side of the players in this one because they deserve to have this prorated deal because they agreed to a deal in which they would receive X amount of money. And when the owners come back and say, Hey, let's, let's put this one 50, 50 down the middle, you and me, bud, we're in this together. And you don't get that sort of deal that you had before. And if they do this pro rate deal, they'll get obviously kind of a, just like a, a, a percentage of what they would be getting due to the revenue losses that are to come possibly if the season is played. But the owners are honestly playing a little bit of the victim card right now. And I think they have a right to play the victim card, but also they're not really showing why exactly they're playing the victim card in terms of the numbers. And I would like to see some of the numbers that possibly could be coming. I completely agree with that because I mean, I'm normally not on the side of the owners, but there's no facts of the money that they're losing in revenue that they're not able to play, I mean, pay their employees. Like it's the same thing as any business and the employees are taking a bigger risk and they're risking their health. They have to go away from their families and be quarantined and it's going to be really different. So obviously everybody wants the sport to come back, but I don't know. It's not fair for the billionaire owners to play the victims when the players are going to have to make a lot of sacrifices to come back to the league. Yeah, one of the things that I was a little more concerned that I think the players should be kind of worry about as they move forward is if they if baseball doesn't necessarily return to play this year, but other sports come back, like like imagine a year without baseball, but the NBA, the NFL, and like what we deem to be more popular sports kind of rising up in America come back. 
does this kind of make baseball a little less prominent the next year? And, uh, and, you know, in the long run, this could hurt their pocketbooks even more if they're not making as much money off TV revenue, people buying merchandise, stuff like that. I, I think that it could potentially be a dangerous game if they're really holding out uh, that much on their salary this year. Yeah, Alex, you, you bring up a great point because as, you know, the, the five of us within this space might agree with what Blake Snell said, there is a large chunk of the population and, and the people that watch Major League Baseball that didn't like what he said and that might be less of a fan of him or Bryce Harper who kind of backed up Blake Snell's uh, statements on his own Twitch channel. And that might hurt baseball on a national scale if it does return in 2020 or you know maybe when it returns in 2021. And I don't know if this is going to have any effect on baseball returning but, but Gabe, I know you might have a little bit of a different view on uh, this situation. So I want to hear your thoughts. So when it comes to being somebody like Bryce Harper, you have to not only speak for yourself and speak for the players, but then you also have to speak as an MLB player. And this reminds me a little bit about the, I think it was the China, Houston Rockets, LeBron James fiasco, I think it was last year. Um, LeBron James started speaking for the NBA when he really wasn't. And so – I just feel like they're coming out very insensitive to most of the public because there's millions of people that are dying, millions of people that are unemployed right now. And it's really hard for me to be caring about a multimillionaire player losing a couple bucks. And so, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think this is something that needs to be gaining this much publicity when the, or not the NFLPA, but the MLBPA, the Players Association, could be dealing with this behind the scenes. I, I, I agree that, there might've been a better way to deal with this. Uh, but what I will say is it's not just a couple bucks. Blake's now signed his arm, his left arm over to the Tampa Bay Rays for $50 million because that's what it was worth or that's what he deemed it to be worth. And yeah, he's going to have to take somewhat of a pay cut because he's pitching less games in 2020. There's no way around that. He said he would play for a prorated salary and I think almost every single player in Major League Baseball, if not all of, all of the Major League Baseball players, would agree with him. Blake Snell knows that once this $50 million contract runs out, he could probably sell his arm for $200 million. He knows how much is worth. At the end of the day, he is selling a product like everyone else in the world, and he knows how much it's worth. But I, I, do, I, I think you have a great point about you know, this is, might be something the Players Association could, could, could deal with and maybe they want the players to be a little more quiet about it and it might come off as insensitive to some people I don't think it was I think we're all going through a tough time right now and, and his twitch channel is kind of where he can be authentic about things like this and, and say things off the cuff but I, but I think you bring up a great point yeah I think a lot of people did take this a little maybe a little too seriously um you know, look, I'll never hate on anybody for trying to get their money while, you know, while they're still working and while they're still at the top of their game. So I don't necessarily have any issues with them. Just what I'm more worried about in, in the future, per se, is that, you know, every year there's a new generation of kids that just start watching baseball that year. And uh, I think it would be uh, like crazy for baseball to kind of maybe become slightly more obscure in the American eye just by sitting out of season and really trying to, uh, you know, uh, just, just get it back into full swing, holding out for some sort of prorated salary. 
it, I, I think that could really hurt uh, baseball and their revenue stream in the long run. Gary, do you think the comments made by Snell and, and by Harper, and I assume there's going to be some more players that either come out and agree or disagree, do you think those comments in, in their place in the negotiations between the league, the owners, and the Players Association, do you think they will have any effect, either positive or negative, on baseball returning in 2020? I think it certainly will because you look at it, they're speaking, they're unfiltered, they're giving it off the cuff, they're speaking their mind. Something that we've been extremely critical about baseball players for a while, especially Mike Trout, who is just the weatherman of baseball, sadly. But I, it will hurt them because they, the owners are seeing this is what they really think. You can't just say, you can't just let the, the voice of the MLBPA speak as the mouthpiece for the players now because the players have their own mouthpiece whenever they want. And the owners could be like, well, you're not going to do this. Why are we going to even try now? So we'll just sit back, eat a year without having to spend any money on giving up uh, pretty much anything else for the season in terms of like production for a game, paying staff, paying anything. They can honestly just furlough people and just get away with murder almost. So it's a bit, it's a bit ridiculous, but I also see the players have a, a right to speak their mind. I think this will definitely make a difference, especially because of the players who spoke out. The fact that it was Bryce Harper, who is such a big name in baseball. And same thing with Blake Snell, like after he won the Cy, uh, Cy Young and kind of like put him on the radar. So for players of like that stature to be speaking out for like players' rights, I think that will kind of influence other players especially the ones like those guys are making a lot of money there's some who are making the league minimum who if they're taking a prorated salary cut like obviously they'll be able to afford their living costs but you know it's it's a big difference there's a lot of a large pay scale in baseball so I think that it will help negotiations actually because more people will feel comfortable to like, speak out it definitely reminds everyone that the players are the product here, and without the players, there will be no Major League Baseball. I know returning from a strike, there was attempts to have, like, replacement players, but I'm sorry, I don't want to see the, the Durham Bulls roster suit up for, for a Major League game, and unfortunately, I don't think we'll, get, we'll ever get to see that. Michael Jordan as a replacement player. Terry Francona yeah, said he could have made it to the MLB. Third <laughs> Reinsdorf, I think. Yeah. Hey, the Marlins would have an interesting roster because it would just be our pipeline coming up to the big leagues just a few years early. <laughs> yeah, they might be better. They might win more games. It, that's, <laughs> that's the goal that these guys would eventually later become the MLB players and become better than they, what they are now. So, hey, maybe we get that a year early. Yeah, for well, sure. Well, the, the uh, sports are starting to come back. We've got, we had golf this weekend. We had some soccer. I know we've had Korean baseball and Taiwan baseball and, and, and some other sports that have returned around the globe. Um, but some, some stuff that I think might be more prominent to our listeners and to sports fans in the United States. Gary, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the uh, golf competition from this weekend and, and the one we've got coming this upcoming weekend. I mean, as much as I've loved watching Korean baseball at the probably the worst hours in the morning for me possible and not helping my sleep schedule, I really enjoyed watching a live sport in the middle of the day at a time where I'm usually up. And the, the tailor-made drive for relief at Seminole Golf Club in uh, Juneau Beach, Florida, which people would call the real Seminole, but I might disagree and call Seminole Legacy the real Seminole. But it was an amazing match. It was something that we've never seen before because Seminole Golf in Juno has never been featured on live TV. So a lot of us, including myself, had never seen the full entirety of this course. We've maybe seen a few holes 
listed on Golf Digest top 100 golf holes in America or in the world. But it was amazing to kind of see this piece of property and get to learn a bit more because it honestly, for more of the golf nerds, I'll get back into some golf nerd talk. It's more like a Pinehurst, but for Florida because they have the sandy waste areas, but not as many trees as Pinehurst, any number of Pinehurst that you can go through. But it's just an amazing piece of property to see. But sadly, in my opinion, the skins match ended on a sour note for me because I was kind of pull, I was pulling for Ricky and Matt Wolf. And sadly, they kind of got screwed, even though they were leading by about $400,000 in terms of what money would be donated to the charity of their choice. And they had stacked up six skins over the past six holes. And for people who don't know golf, it's a game called skins where each hole is worth an amount of money. And if you tie on a hole, the money keeps stacking until the next hole until someone wins the money. So over, I think it was close to $700,000 had stacked up over six holes. And they tied on the 18th, even though uh, Wolf and Ricky were up by about 400,000. They said, okay, it's a tie technically because there's still money on the table. Let's go to a chip off pretty much on the 17th, 125 yard chip close to the pin wins. And sadly, Ricky and Wolf lost because of Ricky, I'd say choked it because he pretty much blocked a, a wedge right of the green and screwed Wolf and Wolf was left about 10 feet. So it was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was nice to see some live golf and it was really interesting to see the players carry their own bags, but I'll probably probably get off this train now because not too many people love to hear about golf as much <laughs> well, as I do. <laughs> real quick, I do want to hear your pick for, for the match this weekend. We've got Tiger Woods and uh, Peyton Manning against mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. I know Tiger and Phil did that, tried to do that pay-per-view match like last year and it didn't do as well as people expected it would. There was a lot of issues with the pay-per-view stream, but, but real quick, what's your pick? Who do you think is going to win? I'm on the side of Tiger and Tom right now just because even though Peyton, I know Peyton's had a lot more time in the past to go play golf because of his uh, his retirement, but Tom has started to figure out his game a little bit more. I've been listening to a few shows. Tom was actually playing in a charity tournament at Seminole earlier this past week where he Is it Peyton had, with Tiger? I Here, let me be sure, but I'm – is it Peyton with Tiger? Look it up Peyton is with Tiger. Peyton is with Tiger. Okay. Uh, I'm still going to take Tiger. Tiger's still the better golfer head-to-head against Phil. But uh, even then, I would still look out for Tom just because Tom's golf game is still improving and he's had a lot of time to improve. He actually was using Rory's driver because when he went down to Seminole playing this charity tournament, he forgot a driver. So he was using Rory's driver. <laughs> According to uh, Jimmy Dunn, the president of Seminole Golf Club, he was really puring the driver, hitting it, stroking it well. And I think his, I think Tom's game maybe could lend a little bit to medalist up in, uh, what is that? Just a little bit further north of, uh, I think they're in Fort Pierce, somewhere around there. But I'm going to side with Tiger solely because Tiger is better than Phil at this moment. Yeah, I'm going with uh, Tiger and Peyton. I think Ty, uh, Tiger and Phil might play it kind of evenly. They're both obviously professionals and very successful. And it's a low-pressure situation. Um, but I think that we might see some differentiation between Peyton's game and Tom's game. I know both of them are probably really good golfers, mm-hmm. um, but, I, but I'm going to go with Peyton over Tom. And I think Peyton will carry Tiger to, to the win. Uh, Ooh, on Sunday. I, I don't know about that, but the other thing that's difficult to kind of predict about this is that myself and a bunch of other people, I know some other people really into the golf world know it, but they don't, we don't know medalists that well. I don't know yeah. medalists like the back of my hand. So there isn't that much I can really see because I knew at least Seminole a little bit more just because of what I've read. And it's Seminole's a bit bigger of a name than Medalist. But 
it's I'm interested to see kind of how this property, how they're able to work around. Cause from what I've seen and from what I've looked up on Google maps, it's a bit of a tighter piece of the land because it actually is working within a housing development like most South Florida courses do sadly, but that's what I think can really hurt and help tiger a little bit here because tiger can sometimes go a little bit errant off the tee and that really could hurt in housing development course. Gabe, the Bundesliga was back this weekend. It was the German soccer league, their first division. They returned, uh, obviously no fans in the stands. They've got eight or nine matches left, but I think eight now after this weekend, what were your thoughts on this first weekend that they came back and the, the TV presentation of the games? What, just what were your thoughts? So being a Barcelona fan is easily the most hyped I've ever been for a Bundesliga weekend of soccer. Um, I watched about two and a half games. I just had some stuff other going on. So, uh, But the, the matches I watched were really good. I watched Dortmund uh, versus Schalke, obviously. That was the big header. Um, unfortunately for Schalke, they, <laughs> they got trashed. But uh, it, it was really rough at first. I'm not going to lie. It was a little weird just thinking about how there were no fans and just we haven't we haven't watched soccer in so long it felt like a completely different sport but once it was about 15 minutes in it kind of all went smoothly um it was weird hearing the balls uh just like knocking each other uh because that's the stuff you kind of hear whenever you're like in an indoor game uh or yeah. just like in in an actual stadium uh so it was definitely weird i'm curious to see how that will happen with nba and nfl but that's a story for another time. Um, but it was also very sad seeing the Dortmund game because there was no yellow wall. The passionate fans for Borussia Dortmund, they were very much missed. Uh, so it's interesting how not having fans is obviously going to affect some of the matches. I think it was still fun to watch. It was still a good product. It was really hard to get captivated because the, the audience wasn't there. It did feel like a very low-pressure situation. And obviously Dortmund and Schalke, that's one of the biggest derbies, biggest rivalries, I'll say in Europe that should be you know it, sh it should feel like it and it didn't feel like it It was still a fun game to watch I still think they did a great job with the broadcast given all the circumstances but yeah you're right it was a little tough to watch NASCAR also returned this past weekend Kevin Harvick won at Darlington uh, Gary uh, I think NASCAR was was pretty easy to watch didn't feel that different besides you know you couldn't see the fans in the stands but obviously the, the cars make all the noise so it didn't sound any different Therefore, the broadcast didn't feel that different. Uh, but did you enjoy watching the race at all? Did you watch yeah. the race at all? I watched a little bit of it. I caught closer to the back half because obviously that was going on at the same time as the TaylorMade golf match. So I watched a little bit of it. Yeah, the fans, they, fans don't make as big of an impact during the race. They kind of make the impact towards the end once you get to the victory, the victory lap, victory lane, all that. So I still think it was enjoyable. It just felt more like a time trial rather than an actual event, but still fun. So we are bringing trivia back this week. I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. It's themed on The Last Dance. We obviously talked about that for the first half of the episode. And now we're doing trivia a little different. I know we've messed around with different forms of the game. Uh, we're going to try this one out. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But we're using Kahoot. I know people our age probably are more familiar with that than any uh, older people that are listening to the show. No offense to you. But it's uh, an online trivia format that is usually used in the classroom. Um, but we're using it here. It's going to give points based on the correct answer, obviously, but also how fast you buzz in. We've got the questions on the screen. I am hosting. I'm not participating. I made all the questions based on the last dance. Some of them are pretty easy. Some of them might be a little trickier, um, but I will read off the questions, obviously, to the audience and then give updates after every question on 
you know, who's in the lead because it does give more points to the players who buzz in the fastest. Everyone has a chance to get the question right. So without further ado, we've got the game loaded up. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Ready to go. All right, let's do this thing. This is the last dance trivia. Obviously, Gabe is the title holder. He might be the longest reigning champion, even though he got a free pass last week. Gary is also a former champion on the show. Two new challengers, their first time competing, Gianna and Alex. Let's get this thing underway. You guys got your phones ready? All right, here we go. I'm so nervous. (laughs) All right. In what city did Michael Jordan attend high school? Was it Wilmington, North Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, or Raleigh, North Carolina? Ah. We got two correct answers. So two people buzzed in correctly with the selection of Wilmington, North Carolina, but two people incorrectly picked Durham, North Carolina. UNC Wilmington. He uh, obviously played his college basketball in Chapel Hill with the North Carolina Tar Heels. Durham, if he had lived in Durham, he might have went to Duke. Who knows? But uh, (laughs) let's see who got those questions correct. Gianna and Gary with the right answer. Gianna buzzed in first, so she's at 875 points. They're up to 1,000 points. That's why these point totals mm-hmm. are so high. And it you know, subtracts your point total the longer you take to buzz in. Gary with 840 points. Alex, Gabe, uh, what, you know, what, what was your thought process? Alex, we'll start with you. I don't know. I, I think I thought it was like college, and then I just picked the only college town I knew. But I thought like the question was wrong. I, I was like looking for Chapel Hill. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I was yeah, just looking well, for the school. most famous city, honestly. Yeah, Wilmington, North Carolina. Played at Laney High. All right. Mm-hmm. On to the next question. Who did the Bulls beat in the 1991 finals to win their first NBA championship? The Phoenix Suns, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Utah Jazz, or the Detroit Pistons? We've got three correct responses on, on Kahoot with the Los Angeles Lakers. Who picked the Detroit Pistons? Clicked it by accident. They're in the Eastern Conference, Gianna. <laughs> I know. They did beat them. They did beat them that year. Yeah, they did beat the Pistons to get there. I tried to throw a curveball in there, and it looks like you swung and missed, Gianna. But three correct answers. Let's look at the point totals after that question. Gary takes the lead. He's at 1,810 points. Gabe comes in at second place now, 895. Gianna, you're holding tight in third place at 875. Alex coming in at last at 860, but not far behind. And 10 questions left. There are 12 questions on the board tonight. Let's move on to the next question. Number three, how many times did Dennis Rodman play in the NBA Finals throughout his career? Six, three, five, or four? I did throw those out of order a little bit. All right, we've got three correct responses, one incorrect responses. The correct – actually, no, wait, no No, no no incorrect responses. No one got it. I was reading it wrong. He appeared in the Finals six times. Three for the Detroit Pistons, three for the Chicago Bulls, and uh, three of you guys responded with five. So was that just, you know, trying to think quickly on your head, thought maybe the Pistons only made it twice? I thought uh, That's how many he Pistons. won, and I thought he won every time. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. The Pistons, I think, lost one. Uh, maybe his mm-hmm. first or second yeah. trip. They, they won the first – or they, they lost the first one, and then they won back-to-back. Yep. Yeah, that's what I forgot. See, I only remember the wins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so let's look at the point total now. No one moves up, obviously, because there's uh, no correct answers. All right, on to question four. What country did Phil Jackson coach in immediately after his playing career ended? 
China, Puerto Rico, Spain, or Canada? Correct answer was Puerto Rico, which I know right now technically Puerto isn't a country. Puerto not a country. Uh, <laughs> I think it might have been then. Maybe. But it was, it was in the last dance that that's where he coached. If my wording was a little wrong there, I apologize. But, John, I'm guessing you were the one that incorrectly clicked. Yeah, I just guessed. I don't know. This is the league that I wanted to hear more about. I want to know more about this Puerto Rican league. (laughs) On the documentary, on the documentary, it sounded like it was an insane league with some some uh, probably some problematic things that were going on. Bill Jackson, (laughs) you know, uh, wet his beak there and and started his coaching (laughs) career. Obviously, you know, learned a lot there because when he came to the NBA, he won eleven titles. So they're doing something uh, right down there in Puerto Rico. So everyone but Gianna gets that one correct. Let's look at the new point totals. Gary remains in the lead. He's got three out of four. He's got just over 2,700 points. Alex hops into second place with just a, uh, with 1,765. Only five points more than Gabe with 1,760. And now Gianna sits in last at 875. <laughs> Don't worry, Gianna. We're only a third of the way through. Yeah, I think you could probably come back. On to question five. Michael Jordan wore the numbers 23-45 in what other number during his NBA career? Nine, 12, double zero, and 24. This one's a guess. This one's a guess for me. <laughs> All right. We I got, got it right. We got so a lot of distribution over here. Hey. Oh, I was thinking of um, the Olympics. Yep. So he, he uh, wore number nine with guess. the Dream Team. He wore number nine with the Dream Team. That was incorrect. Number 24, he never wore that. He wore number 12, I believe, in only one game when they were playing the Orlando Magic, and his jersey was either ripped or it didn't make it on time. There was some issue with the equipment that he had to put on another jersey, and the jersey wore number 12. Who got that one correct other than Gary who guessed? Alex, was that you? Yes. Did you guess or did you know that story? No, I knew that one because they always sell that jersey. Oh, okay. yeah. No, I want a number 12, Jordan Drew. That was my baseball number, so that would be a little, cool one. Though. I, don't think his number, I don't think his name's on the back. His name's not on the back. Maybe I could get it added, though. Who cares? The good old <laughs> yeah, educated his, guess from Florida I know his public name, schools. <laughs> yeah, I know his name actually wasn't on the back because it was a, a replacement jersey. I think Terrence Mann wore a couple different numbers at Florida State because his jersey was ripping. He was uh, all constantly. Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're going to look at the point totals now. Gary remains in the lead, nails another one. He might be guessing his way back to the title. He's at 3,635. Alex coming in in second, 2,715. Gabe, 1,760. And Gianna still hanging in there at 875 points. (laughs) On to the next question. Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman were number one and number two on the 97-98 Bulls in minutes played. Which of their teammates was number three? Was it Steve Kerr? Scotty Pippen, Tony Kukoc, or Ron Harper? Toss up. Oh, no. One correct response here. Gary nails it with Ron Harper, the only other player on that team to start in all 82 games. We had one correct response, or one incorrect response for uh, Steve Kerr. Who went with Steve Kerr? Me. Gabe, I want to give you a Steve Kerr fun fact. He didn't start a single game during his entire career with the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> he started, oh, that's he started in only 30 games in his NBA career. In 20 okay, of those 30 were in one season. I should just quit right now. <laughs> he was a super sub. If I know you're familiar with that term with soccer, yes, he was a I super am. sub. We had two people go with Scottie Pippen, which I think was probably the obvious answer. This wasn't a trick question. 
but I thought Ron Harper might throw you guys for a little bit of a loop. Gary, did you know that or was that another guess? It was an ed- a very good educated guess because I during the documentary, I noticed Ron Harper was on the floor quite a lot. <laughs> there you go. Hey, and this was supposed to be, if you watched the documentary, if you watched it thoroughly, you should be able to get some of these. I told right people to pay attention. Right. You got to pay attention to the storylines yeah, and everything. It was bad because I realized now that Scottie Pippen was injured most of that season. That yeah, too. that's right. That was part yep. of the story. Yeah, I knew it was a I trick question. <laughs> so Gary and goes up. Wow, 4,680 points, just under a 2,000-point lead over Alex at 2,715. Gabe still at 1,760. And Gianna at 875. All right. Don't choke. Don't choke. let's move on to the next question number seven when michael jordan went to go find dennis rodman in las vegas which celebrity was he with was it madonna kim jong-un james franco (laughs) or carmen electra oh no oh no three responses with carmen electra now madonna and him Mm-hmm. But that was not who he was with in Vegas. It was Carmen Electra. They spoke about that in the documentary. But three correct responses for Carmen Electra. Let's look at the leaderboard. Gary remaining in the lead, 5,860 points. Alex up in second now, 3,595 points. A little over 2,000 points now that he needs to catch up to Gary. Gianna only 15 points back at third place. Gabe's at 1,760. Gianna at 1,744. Gary has answered four questions correctly in a row. We're on the next one. Alex, you, you got a kind of a big gap now, but not that much uh, time yes, to I come just, back. I just got to run the offense. Before we, before we get to the next question, Gabe, you mentioned the story with that Dennis Rodman – the Dennis Rodman yeah. at the beginning of the show. I narrowed it down to two answers, and I just keep picking the wrong one. Come yes, on, I'm man. Gl- I'm glad you were able to eliminate Kim Jong-un and James Franco. <laughs> oh, right. man. Almost rough. only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, my Exactly. Friend. All right, next question. How many points per game did Michael Jordan average in the 1998 NBA Finals? 29.6, 30.4, 32.7, or 33.5? And the correct answer was 33.5. We had split responses. Two went to 30.4, which was incorrect, and two went to 33.5, which was correct. Either you just remembered that from reading it in an article or on the back of a basketball card, or you guessed, or you just guessed that it was the highest of the choices, which would probably be a good guess, given that we're talking about Michael Jordan in the last dance. Let's take a look at the leaderboard. Gary missed that one. So Alex has closed the gap. Gary at 5,860. Alex at 4,525. Gabe back strongly in third place again at 2,555. And Gianna at 1,745. It looks like this is a two-horse race between Gary and Alex as we head down the final stretch. Let's go to the next question. Question number nine, which team welcomed the Chicago Bulls to town with a record crowd for an NBA regular season game? The Dallas Mavericks, the Atlanta Hawks, the LA Lakers, or the Toronto Raptors? It's a good one. And I believe this was featured in the doc. I know this was featured in the documentary. All right. We only had three responses. Someone wasn't able to get their pick in on time. I don't know if there was a connection issue or we've, you know, someone's waving the white flag but we had uh, two correct responses for the Atlanta Hawks in the Georgia Dome. It was like 60,000 plus. They filled that Mm. dome 
for a regular season game. And uh, that was featured on the documentary. Who got that one correct? I remember just like thinking about how cool it would be to go to a basketball game in the Georgia Dome. <laughs> I can't imagine watching basketball in the Dome. I forgot the yeah, Georgia I, Dome. I feel like Alex might know that one. I swore I, didn't I know that one. I thought they didn't. They talk about them playing a game in Toronto at some point. I thought um, I swore they did. I don't know. I maybe not uh, in the stadium. Okay, I, I guess I misremembered. Did have a basketball team? Yes, <laughs> they did. But uh, I I know that uh, this was the record. This was the record. All right. Mm-hmm. On to the next question. Number two. Well, let's look at the leaderboard first. Yeah. Alex Lipped is on up. a hot streak. Up. Only 260 points down. Gary's missed the last two. He's at 5,860 points. Alex has gotten the last three questions correct, bringing him at 5,600. 260 points down. That could easily be made up mm-hmm. in one question. Gabe at 2,555. And Gianna, 20 points behind him at 2,535 points. So we've got two races here. The race to for first and the race to stay out of last place. And we've got two questions remaining. Let's go to the next one. Actually, three questions remaining. Which wrestling stable did Dennis Rodman miss practice to appear with on WCW's Monday Night Nitro? Was it the Hart Foundation, DX, NWO, or the Four Horsemen? We had four correct responses. I think that might be our first mm-hmm. question with four correct responses. NWO, he was with Hulk Hogan and the gang on WCW's Monday Night Nitro. That one... It would have probably been a tougher question if that was featured on one of the earlier episodes. Obviously, that was on last night's either episode nine or ten. I don't remember which one it was. Um, I think it was episode ten actually. But uh, NWO, I know, no, not really any of you guys are wrestling fans, but that's uh, pretty great that you nailed that one. I'm impressed. I'm, 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 I'm happy about that. All right, let's look at the leaderboard. Let's see if anyone buzzed in quickly enough to take the lead. Ooh, Gary woo-hoo-hoo. still in the lead at six thousand seven hundred fifty. Alex, 45 points behind him at 6,705. Gianna, 3,495, takes third place, leaving, Gear, or leaving Gabe at 3,430 points in last. Two questions left. Moving on to question 11. Which minor league baseball team did Michael Jordan suit up for when he first retired from basketball? Durham Bulls, the Birmingham Barons, Toledo Mudhens, or the Buffalo Bisons? Three correct response for this one. The correct answer was the Birmingham Barons and the White Sox organization. Who went with Buffalo Bisons? Me. Gabe. Here's <laughs> truly the defending Oof. champion. Come Terry on. Frank, the, the Terry Francona managed Birmingham Barons. That should make things in- interesting. Gary got that one right. Let's see if Alex buzzed in at first and if he can improve his point total. His Alex is in the lead. The hot streak helps a lot. That's what, yeah, that's what gonna, did, I think. I'm just you running do get the more points. Yep. You do get more points for, for uh, questions answered con- uh, consecutively. So Alex has answered five in a row. He's at 7,885. Gary sits at 7,745. Gianna strongly in third place, probably secured it here. She's at 4,600 points. And Gabe the defending champion, 3,430 points. Going on to the final question. I think I made this one the most difficult, or I thought it was the most difficult. Let's go ahead and take a look. Question 12. Hakeem Olajuwon was taken first overall in the 1984 NBA draft, and Michael Jordan was taken third. Who was taken second overall in that draft? Was it Lancaster Gordon, Melvin Turpin, Sam Bowie, or Scotty Pippen? Sam Bowie, four correct responses. Dang it. Great job. On the last one. I think we that's going to steal the deal. 
I think that's going to seal the deal for Alex, especially because uh. that was his sixth cor- uh, question answered correctly in a row. I mm-hmm. think that's going to give it to him. That let's see. It. Let's see the final results, though. The podium. Here we go. It's showing on our screen. This is Bad Radio. Third place is Gianna, 5,745 points. She got half the questions right. Gary comes in at second, 8,645 points. He got three quarters of the questions right. Alex also got nine out of 12 right, and he is the champion with 9,265 points. Yeah. I just like to sit here and thank God. Uh, you know, <laughs> my mom did a lot for me, uh, came out here, executed, and I can't say I expected anything else. I'm not a fan of the arbitrary point system. As of right now, Alex and I tied, and that's what uh, I have been <laughs> training for this my whole life, Gary. Arbitrary point system. Gary, it's, I think it might be the, uh, the lighting in your room, but you look like the banker on Deal or No Deal right now. We can see your shadow, but we can't see your face. Yes, my um, lighting is not perfect in this room. I had to, when I'm on the Zoom thing on its own, pulling up the screen, it just makes me the black, uh, just a black shadow. And Alex, before we wrap up the show, you, you're the champion now. Do you know what that means? Uh, I got to come back next week. You got to come back on next week. All right. So that is going to do it tonight for us on Tomahawk Talk. For Gianna Arantes, Alex DePriest, Gabe Titness, Gabe Tisness, and Gary Putnick, I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll see you guys next week.